0: And I'm like, really? I'm not even plugged in? <laughs> but that's kind of the way the morning's gone this morning, so hopefully we'll get rolling here. So welcome. Merry Christmas. If I hadn't had a chance to say Merry Christmas to you. You know, we welcome the holidays as kind of a nice retreat from us, a nice retreat from the mundane, everyday toil of our lives, you know, from work and chores and all the different things that we have in our life, because, you know, we can focus on the happier things, the more joyful things in our life, and the family and friends and presents, and who doesn't like presents, right? I mean, it's not the meaning of Christmas, but these are fun things that we look forward to at Christmas time, because it's different than the the struggle of every day. But when we talk about joy, sometimes we talk about joy like it's some mystical thing. It's something otherly, that is not really a part of our life, it's something we want more of, and we all want more joy in our life, but we struggle with it sometimes. You know, that, that person that just bubbles up, that's, that's full of effervescence and sparkly? Well, I'm guilty of this, but sometimes that turns me off. Because I'm not that way. My family can attest that I don't roll out of bed going, ta That's not me. Joy is not even on my radar after, until I've had several cups of coffee and the caffeine is kicked in. That's just the way I roll. But joy is something that I want. But especially for Christians, it's hard because, you know, we, we have this reputation of we are supposed to be joyful, happy people, happy all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not abdicating that we don't have mournful times or sad times, and I don't want to belittle that at all. That's not what this message is about. But what this message is about is trying to get us to remember what God has done for us. You see, joy has a past, joy has a present, and joy has a future in our life. And it's not just this emotion that is inward and has some outward expression in our life. It's a choice, it's an action, it's an actual event that we can pinpoint where God was doing things in our life. Where the kingdom of God broke into our life and saved us and rescued us and redeemed us. Joy is rooted in our lives as Christ followers. It has a past, it has a present, it has a future, and there's a journey of joy in our lives. It's historical, and it's current, and it's foundational, as we'll talk about today, for our future. We can see the journey of joy by remembering what God has done in our lives. We can do it by understanding and knowing God and and through fellowship and relationship, by his character and very nature. You see, he transforms us even in the midst of negative circumstances. And he brings about great blessing and joy. And there's an expectation then of things to come in our life. And we will look forward to that. Now, this is not some made-up and manufactured joy, but it's a result, again, of our relationship with the Lord, who is actively involved in our life. He's actively involved in the followers of Christ because he rescues. He's a rescuing, saving God, redeeming us, revealing himself to us. Eugene Peter says Eugene Peterson says this of joy. Joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. And it's not just some requirement of Christians, but it's a consequence of our discipleship with him. So when I talk about past, present, and future, we're going to start with the past because that's where we're rooted and grounded in. And how do we get this joy? How do we understand joy in our past? Well, when we read the Bible, the Bible is full of the stories of God who came in and rescued his people. Now, I came across, I'm reading a book by Eugene Peterson called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he talks about the song of ascents, which are in the book of Psalms. And basically, there are 15 psalms that talk about The redeeming qualities, like what, how God related to Israel and how He saved Israel, and how they were His chosen people. Excuse me, and how He returned them from captivity. So each song has a point and tells of this history of God saving His people. Now, when you talk about Palestine, they have this ridge of mountains they have hills but they have a vast desert it's empty and it's dry and then you have this mountain of god that they keep talking about well you see it was customary that the pilgrims if you will the israelite people would go to travel to the mountain of god to worship him And even annually three times annually they go for um passover they go for um, pentecost for the festival of weeks they go um, for the festival of tent or booths which is tabernacle so three times they would come to the temple to worship and these songs of ascent um there are actually steps at the temple and at each step they would sing one of these songs of ascent and then they go to the next step and sing the next song of ascent So this was part of their history, their oral culture, to remember what God had done for them. Now, as you know, Israel went into captivity. It was actually, Israel was in the south, and Judah was, I'm sorry, Israel was in the north, and Judah was in the south. And at one time, Israel is captured by the Assyrians, and Judah is basically utterly destroyed by Babylonians. The Babylonians come in, and with all the inhumanity that war brings—rape, destitution, cannibalism, death—they march these people across this desert 600 miles. So as you can imagine, many of them didn't even make it, that journey. But they're in captivity. And we think that this psalm, Psalm 126, is probably written by Ezra as to commemorate what God has done as the exiles at the decree of King Cyrus are finally released after 70 years of captivity to go back to their homeland. Now, if you can imagine, they're, they're astounded, they're in disbelief. And so I want to read this psalm, so if you could put it up for me. Now, I have the NIV version here. Actually, um, what, I'll ha- what I have for you is the message, so I'll just read this for you. It seemed like a dream, too good to be true. When God returned Zion's exiles, we laughed, we sang. We couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We Our one happy people. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought stricken lives so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armfuls of blessing. You see, they had been in captivity for seven years, they had hung their harps on the willow, so to speak, because they couldn't sing anymore there was no laughter, there was no joy, not in captivity. The Babylonians had stripped them of everything they knew and the lifestyle that they had known. And they were in servitude for 70 years. That's a couple generations. And here is this psalm, though, because God comes to the rescue. Now. What you'll notice about this verse, if you can go back up to verse 1, if if you can, is that the first two verses are past tense. They basically show the memory of God's lives, or I'm sorry, memory of God's acts in our lives. Verse 3 then, he says, we are one happy people. That's a present tense. That's speaking of us now. And then verses 4 through 6 are future future tense. They're an expectation of joy based on God's promises to them. You see, when the first exiles were out, not everybody got to leave Babylon. It was the first wave. And then you actually had two more waves generations later come out. And that's what Nehemiah talks about is the last generation of those exiles coming out but these Psalms are written to commemorate that event. So, now you're talking about, okay, we have this song and it talks about what God has done, but what, what did God do? You see, this, this, the stories are only alluded to here, but these people were, knew the story because they lived the story. So we have to kind of read into it here and see, what he's talking about. You see, because servitude didn't start with just under the Babylonians. It started way back after Joseph's time with Egypt. In fact, they were in servitude in slaves under the Egyptians for over 430 years. Exodus 12 tells us that. In the desert, in the hot sun, being slaves, building Pharaoh's pyramids. And then suddenly... God shows up on the scene. Suddenly, the horse and rider in the sea, suddenly, they are shouting victory. They are on the other side of the Red Sea, and their enemy is destroyed. Suddenly, after 430 years of servitude. David, we read about David practically having guerrilla warfare with the Philistines. Now, he's been anointed king, But yet he doesn't actually serve as king, and he has to go and fight and has to contend with a king that is going after him to kill him. Out of jealousy and rage. He's hiding in caves, and this goes on for eight years. Eight years before suddenly God shows up. He's there. And David is king. David sings that he is his bedrock. God is his shield and his refuge. You can find that in 2 Samuel 22. And then we come to the Babylonians. Seventy years of inhumanity. And suddenly, King Cyrus does a decree. And they're released. Suddenly, after 70 years. It's impossible miracles. None of these rescuing, salvation acts happened at their hand. In fact, their captivity was a result of the consequences of their actions. And in some cases, inactions. They wouldn't uphold the Sabbath. They had idols before God. They let life on their own choosing tear their lives down. But God, in His grace and His mercy, shows up and saves them. So this verse talks about here, it seemed like a dream. It was too good. I mean, they couldn't believe it. They had, you, there's an old saying if you hang long enough, you get used to hanging. <laughs> My father in law used to say that. When you're in captivity, you take on the lifestyle and the mindset of being in captivity. You have now not just this physical imprisonment, if you will, of being in captivity, but you have the mindset of a captive. You are a prisoner to your own thoughts of sin and unforgiveness. They hold you in. It was a dream when they were released. Suddenly he came, and suddenly their lives were changed. So now that brings us here to today. What does them being released have to do with us today? We can look and point at those salvation acts, those salvific acts of God, and know that he does work. That he does show up in the midst of our circumstances and our situations. Again, joy is that verified, repeated experience. You get to experience. You get to have joy and God's saving act in your life. Paul and Silas in prison. They're not complaining. Instead, they're singing. And the chains fall off. Their mindset was not that they were in prison. Their mindset was, I'm worshiping God no matter what. And their chains fell off. James tells us that there's joy in trials, to count all trials as joy because it brings about deeper faith and deeper maturity in us. Those aren't things we like to hear, they're not comfortable verses, but it's true. Joy is proven through hardship. Again, another one, ooh, we kind of cripple at that. But we don't get or grasp sometimes the goodness of God until we're down here, until we need him, because when we're way up here in the the pie in the sky, and we've got the fancy cars and the fancy house and the great job and great friends, we don't seem to have a need for him. And we become forgetful. The folks, we need the Lord. And it's these times when we're down here that we need him. And he rescues us. Even if we put ourselves down there. Even if we drink too much. Even if we are addicted to drugs. Even if we make poor choices in relationships. God saves us. Now, when we talk about joy in the present, it's not just his saving act, but it's also Jesus, his nature, his character himself. It says we can have joy in his presence. Psalm 1611, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Well, you will never know that unless you try to be in his presence. You will be separated from it unless you seek his face. God is the source of joy. God is the object of joy, and there's this sense of joy that comes from being secure. That you're not tossed by the wind and the wave in your decisions because you know that God has got you in his hand. It's been a rough year. We've had a lot of transitions and a lot of things go on in our life. But God has always had us And so even if the joy is not way up here in this outward bubbly emotion, there is a joy in the sense that I am rooted and planted in Christ and I know where I stand and I know that there is an expectation to come of what he's going to do because I can look in the Bible and see what he has done. I can look at my own life and see five years ago that he did this and he did that. And I know that he is active even when I don't see him. Because during that 430 years, or during that 70 years, or the eight years, whatever amount of time it is, God was working that whole time, changing me, transforming me, changing my mindset each step of the way. Even Jesus. You know, we're talking about God because God is the Old Testament and they recognize God. But then Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament and he exemplified joy. He called himself the bridegroom. Hey, that's the best gig in town, right? You gather friends, you're looking forward to the bride, you're going to the bride. It's a celebration of life. Jesus was accused of being a wine-bibber. And being with lowly people, why? Because he loved people. He socialized with people. He cared about people. He was full of life and living life and doing life with people. The wedding, he turns the water into wine. He's about celebration. But there's joy for us as well as being followers of Christ. It says that joy is a part of being fruit of the Spirit. It also says that joy with the Holy Spirit is a mark of the kingdom of God. And I kind of briefly said that earlier. But anytime God's kingdom showed up, it was God's rule and reign that breaking into the here and now, breaking here to the mundane, <clears throat> it was an act of joy. It's a mark of the kingdom that he is here, that he is here to change the scene, change the program for his rule. And not leave you stuck there, but to doing something about it now in your life. And then the Word talks about if you go to Luke 15, we can discover joy as a treasure. You see, Jesus had this mindset, and he tells us these three parables in succession. He talks about um, the lost sheep. And then he talks about the lost coin and the lost son. He talks about how much joy there is in heaven over one sinner repenting than over the 99 that were lost as far as the sheep is concerned. He talks about the angels rejoicing over the lost coin. And he talks about, in the lost son, family celebrating. Have you been celebrated? Do you know of any other God, Buddha or all this other junk that's out there, that celebrates you? I dare say he doesn't. But God does. He knows about you. He cares about you. He brought you into this world. You were fearfully and wonderfully made and in his own image. And he celebrates you. It also says that the joy of the Lord is the reward of the faithfulness in the parable of the talents. At the very end of that parable, the master says, come join me in my happiness. It wasn't just a test. It was he wanted you to share in his joy. He wanted you to share in the gifts that he has for you. Because it's all a part of joining in on what God is doing. It's this experience that we have with him as followers of Christ. Jesus confers on his followers not just peace, but joy. In John, he talks about us participating in his joy because he loves the Father, and then the Father loves him, he loves us, and we love him. It's just this circular kind of picture of the trinity, if you will, if you will, of this love and this, this wonderful communion that we can be a part of. Jesus is able to change our perspective. When we talk about being in our circumstance, in our situation, he can turn our wailing into dancing. And joy comes in the morning. He changes that sackcloth and gives us oil for gladness. But see, sometimes we don't feel it right now. Because, you know, you can't see the tree for the forest sometimes. We're doing life. And where our mindset, remember, is stuck on where we're at and what we're doing. But look at what the psalm says. It talks about the future. It says, do it again, Lord, what you did back then. Do it again. And sometimes that's a cry of our heart, isn't it? Lord, bring yourself to this. Break in here and now. I need you now, Lord. It's the cry of our heart. Do it again. Bring that miracle to us. Bring that healing, Lord God. Restore that relationship. We want it. We ask for it. and Lord, we ask that you do it again. And that's what this psalm is saying. Because it expects things to come. It talks about restoration. Restore our fortunes, Lord. And it talks about hope reigns in our drought-stricken lives. Well, the Negev is a vast desert, and we kind of mentioned that. They actually only get 200 milliliters, I read, of rain when it does rain. That's like, and Mason's probably getting his calculator out right now, converts to six... 0.286 ounces of liquid, which is less than a cup. And yet when it rains in this drought-stricken land, you know what happens in the desert? Does anybody know? It blossoms, flowers, over that little bit of rain, over that little bit of sustenance. Living water creates a change in the landscape of our lives. Just that little bit. An ample word, what is that phrase that uh, a good word is like? Apples of gold and a setting of silver. It restores and renews and refreshes us. And it reminds us, oh yeah, Lord, you're here. It talks about sowing despair and the returns that we get. And it see, it goes from this, into this farmer agricultural um, phrase because that's what they knew. Even in the desert, there were people bringing spices. They had the spice road. There were farmers that would throw their seed and, and, and this ground that looks like it couldn't produce anything. And sometimes when we go out and we share the gospel, it's like, gosh, I don't know. There's, there's just nothing there. I, I don't know, you know? But God causes the rain, God causes the growth, and there's a return. Sowing despair, they come back with harvest. And in the IV, or in IV, it's sheaves. In other words, they're, they're arms full. They cannot carry the harvest that they get from those seeds that they sow. So what are they talking about there? Because, you know, you're talking about sowing seeds. I'm talking about your sowing tears, the negative things in your life, the painful things in your life. I know I've cried over a lot. I know I've been angry, I've been hurt, I've been ticked off. And I know that things in my past, you know, they leave a scar sometimes and they, scars on your back and scars on your consciousness, but God is there. God is there to change the landscape of your life and your perspective and your mindset that he is there to do something new and make something happen out of this ground that looks like nothing. Sometimes we are that ground and we live trampled and gross and dry and empty and that is the way our lives feel. But that little bit of rain that God comes, that salvation act, that joy comes from experiencing and entering our lives. Now, the common mistake, though, is that we have this futile strategy, especially us here in America, for trying to achieve joy. And the way we do that is to try to alleviate pain altogether. You see, if you're insecure, you kind of depersonalize your relationships. You don't get close. You don't get vulnerable. Or you try to nerve, you know, um... Numb the nerve ends, if you will. Because you don't want to experience pain. Or the pain that you've experienced, you don't know how to heal. So you try to soothe yourself instead of letting God heal you. We don't want to take risks. We have insecurities. Not willing to go there, not willing to do that. Don't ask me to go there, Lord. So we... We come up with our own ways of coping and dealing with the pain and suffering in our lives and the trials and persecutions or the things that we are going through. We even, this manufactured joy, God forbid we be bored. We'll go out and buy entertainment. Now, don't get me wrong, I love a good movie. But if you're doing that and as a way to escape and that's your main mode of escape anything you use, instead of letting God enter in, ends up being an idol. It's just a coping mechanism and it's temporary and there is no joy but maybe a few hours and then you're right back to the way you felt before you saw that movie. You don't walk away changed. Joy is given to us by God through Jesus, through his resurrection work in our lives to reveal what's in us, to rescue us, to redeem us, and to renew each of those painful moments. The joy-producing acts of God are characteristic of our past as God's people, and they will be characteristic of us as God's people in the future. Eugene Peterson, and I think I put the quote on your outline, I think this is a brilliant quote says, there is no reason to suppose that God will arbitrarily change his way of working with us. What we have known of him, we will know of him. Just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from from the future. It expects certain things to happen. We assume that because God did these mighty miracles in the Old Testament, that it's old that is gone, and it was only for them, that God won't come and do anything in our present day life, even though we may see it here and there for other people, and we don't see it for us, but the truth is, God is at work. The truth is, if you seek his face, there is joy in his presence. He works to transform you, and he's working behind the scenes because there is joy coming. There's joy coming for you. You can expect it based on what he has done because he is true and faithful to his promises. God accompanies us in our wandering, even in our weeping, like children, until we arrive at home. And Jude one twenty four says, and then he presents us great joy, blameless and perfect before the Father. He is able to do that for us. What I'd like you to do is there's Bibles right in front of you. I want to read from Psalm 61. I'm sorry, Isaiah 61. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. remembering that joy is an experience it's an event it's an act that marks god's work in us right it says the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness For the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance on God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now I want to skip to verse 7. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion of their land, and everlasting joy will be there. You see, what God does for our future is not just for our future here in the next five to ten years, but it's our future in heaven. That everlasting joy where he wipes every tear away, where there is no more suffering. That's a future with him. But it does not happen unless you are a follower of Christ. Unless you let him into your life, it will not happen. I know I want more joy in my life. I know you guys want more joy in your life. And we can have it. Isaiah 58, says that he satisfies your soul during drought. Even during dry, empty seasons, there is rain. Pope John Paul II said, for me, the great fruit of belief is joy. There is a God. There is a purpose. There is a message to things. There are realities that we cannot guess at, and there's a big piece, and you are a part of it. There is a reason for the things that we go through, and God uses them for us. Now, I want to close at this time, but I think John had some things that he wanted to add, and he had some words for people. But I want to be very specific. specific. If we could have our prayer team members come up, please. If you'll stand with me. I think, because I know just from the year that I've experienced, there are some of you that are dry, you are empty, and you want relief. You need that rain, and we want to we pray that God's rain and blessing and that experience of joy will come into your life. I think there's others of you, I think, um, that have some chronic things going on in your bodies that you need relief from as well. You know, the kingdom of God breaks in here and now. And I think some of us, some of us have toiled, we've worked hard, and we still, as I just watched the Jerry Maguire movie the other night, show me the money. (laughs) Show me the money, Lord, right? We need restoration in our finances and marriages and things like that. So I want to invite John up.
1: Uh, There's a story in Genesis 24 where, if you remember, Abraham had this child in his old age, Isaac, and it was time to get a wife for Isaac. So Abraham sends his servant back to his relatives, back to where he came from, to get a bride for his son. And the servant prayed on the way, let me know who this girl is by she will offer me a drink then a drink for my camels. So this happens and then he gives her gifts, and then he makes this arrangement with her f- father for the marriage. But they want Rebecca, who's the girl, to stay there for 10 days. But the servant of Abraham says, no, you need to come back with me now. And so they decide they will go to Abraham, or to Rebecca, and they ask her, and they say, will you go with this man? And I think that's actually a word for a few of you here today, that in this in this story, Abraham's servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to take you on a journey to some place you haven't been. And then there's a blessing that her family speaks over her because she does go with him of, of being very fruitful and her children being um, possessing the gates of the enemy. So I think that is a word for some of you.
2: Yeah, so if that speaks to you, uh, come up for prayer after we dismiss everybody. Uh, Here's some physical things, I think, that might be out here. Uh, If you have shingles, we want to pray for you. Uh, I think there's somebody here, you have pain in the back, uh, right shoulder, like around your shoulder blade up in this area. Uh, Somebody has, you have pain in your neck that radiates down one or both of your arms, and it's some kind of a disc problem uh, in your neck. Uh, Somebody you have digestive distress, that's, I I could be more descriptive than that, but you have digestive distress from like the middle of your stomach down, okay, this area. Um, There's somebody who has problems with compression fractures in your feet or foot, and uh, we'd like to pray for you if you have that. And then uh, there's somebody you've had uh, real bad back pain, real low back pain, like way down here, Uh, like right hip level, not... Here. I mean, we could pray for any kind of back pain, but it, yeah, by the tailbone. Thank you, Jay. I like that Dr. Nolan helped me. Thank you. All right. And uh, there's somebody, you keep having a problem with recurring polyps on your uh, vocal cords. I don't know if that's what they're called, some kind of little growth on your vocal cords. And then uh, I think there's somebody over on this side of the room, you've got bad heartburn that, that comes back uh, over and over and over. So, Jay, anything? else want to throw in there? Okay, so we're just going to pray and then dismiss you guys, and if you want prayer for something, coming up front. Uh, Lord, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for your word, and we, we do want to welcome your joy. We know it's, it's available to us, even in the hardest times in our lives, as, as Lisa showed us. Uh, we invite your spirit to come and help us to experience that joy, even in, in those valleys and dark and challenging moments and hardship and, and whatever circumstances we're in. Uh, thank you, Father, for your promise, and we want to welcome it through the name uh, and the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and come and begin to touch our bodies now as we pray, that, that healing would come from you, Father, uh, through us uh, to, your, to your family here, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.